Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rural Spark. I'm your host, Helen Murphy. You know, the other day I saw a headline saying that a college in British Columbia was the first to acquire a 3D metal printer in rural Canada. That left me with two questions. What exactly is a 3D metal printer? And what's going on with this small college, Selkirk College, that makes it a leader in getting innovative tools like this for the benefit of both students and the local business community? So I gave a call to Jason Taylor. He's research coordinator for advanced manufacturing at Selkirk College, and he told me about the Fab Lab at the college, where students learn cutting-edge skills and local entrepreneurs get to test their ideas and advance their businesses. It's a terrific story, and I'm happy to have Jason on the podcast today to share it. Hello, Jason, and welcome to Rural Spark. My pleasure. This is great. Well, Jason, tell us a little bit about Selkirk College and the community that it serves in British Columbia. Right. So the main campus of Selkirk College is in Kassigar, and we have numerous satellite campuses, but the three main cities are Nelson, Kassigar, and Trail. Plus, we have a whole bunch of smaller satellite campuses in Grand Forks, Nacusp, Caslow. There's another one as well, I think, somewhere. But anyways, those are the main ones. I think there's seven total. Right. So it's a combination of, you know, a wider rural area and some small urban centers? Correct. Yeah. Right. Each city is about 10,000 people, approximately. Right. And the total amount of students is about 2,300, I think. But okay. throughout a year, we service or, or have approximately 10,000 students that somehow are affected by Selkirk. Right. So 2,300 would be like the regular student enrollment? Correct. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, as I, as I learn about what you're doing there and some of the things happening there, it seems like it's a college that's kind of punching above its weight. And you have something called the Fab Lab. Tell us what that is. Yeah. So we're sort of changing the name or the, the focus of that a little bit, but it is starting April 1st this year, we will completely take over the facility. Right now we're sharing it with another organization in our area called CAST. CAST stands for Kootenai Association for Science and Technology. Mm -hmm. And about five years ago, we sort of entered into a joint project to build a fab lab or a makerspace. And it's about 6,500 square feet full of you know, new advanced technologies, 3D printers, computer-controlled machinery, what are CNC machines, laser cutters. We have a wood shop, a metal shop, and it, it's uh, and a computer lab. So it's it's a pretty awesome thing. It's open to the public and and industry. You can buy membership both from a industry level or from a community level. And what's your role there, Jason? Uh, I was brought in by Cast to support the uh, construction of the facility. So I, for instance, I bought a lot of the machines or specified a lot of the machines. And then when they came in, installed them and, and started working with some of the employees here to build standard operating procedures for the equipment. And I teach courses here. I, uh, and I do primarily all of the research that I undertake here. Right. So you're an employee of the college, but you also kind of act as a bit of a bridge to the local community and local industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was really interested in connecting with you, with you when I read about Selkirk being home to the first 3D metal printer in rural Canada, as I understand it. And I, I'm wondering what that means for rural innovation. But when we chatted the other day, I was surprised to learn that you actually came to work in this area, very hands-on technical kind of area from a different field. So tell us a little bit about your career path and how you ended up there. 
Right. So I think the direct relation to it, like I went to school for two areas, structural, architectural engineering and design. And then soon after I went back to school and took one of the first computer animation, 3D computer animation programs through Vancouver Film School. And that would have been 1990-ish. So I worked in that industry for a number of years and just decided to to get out of Vancouver, get out of the big city and come back to my roots. So I grew up in Rosslyn, which is another small community near where the college is. And after a little time, I was approached by the college to help start a new program. And that program is now, this summer will mark 22 years that it's been running. And it's called the Digital Arts and New Media. In about 2002 or three, I became the chair of all of the arts programming at Selkirk. And soon after, started getting really interested in some of the newer technologies that could be applied in both traditional art and design and also in the digital arts. And I stumbled across 3D printer very early on in the days of 3D printing and I had to have it. So I built, I, you know, I bought one and then I built quite a few more of myself and just expanded on you know, all the opportunities in, in advanced manufacturing. And since then, it's been a, just a roller coaster, I think, of wow. adopting new technologies and, and applying them both to, you know, giving the opportunity to students and the community and, and so on. Well, in this area that you're working in the lab, and when we talk about things like 3D printing, it is a real marriage of art and technology, isn't it? Do you, so you must find that your background, your early career stuff on the more creative arts side is really helpful in what you do today? Oh, absolutely. I get to apply both new skills, older traditional skills, and it it is a marriage. Absolutely. Well, and for those of us, and I have a vague idea about 3D, but not a whole lot. So for those of us who aren't really familiar, can you just give us a a bit of a Coles Note version on, on what a 3D printer is? And then in particular, what we're talking about with a 3D metal printer and why these kinds of tools are so valuable for a community to have access to. Right. So 3D printing is, you know, it in the history of it, it's not a new technology. It was actually invented in the early 80s, early to mid 80s. I think there are other, I think, histories around 3D printing. But basically what it does is it takes a material and it builds an object up layer by layer, extruding a a plastic or if we're using a resin or even the metal printing process, it just takes that material. And like I said, it builds the the object up layer by layer. There are many different forms of 3D printing from, you know, an extrusion process to a resin that is cured by light of some sort, either a laser or high powered projection of some sort. There are 3D printers that extrude some sort of glue or a binding agent into a powder and then slowly build up the object that way. The metal printer that we have at our facility uses a water-based metal paste. So the the metal is about 82% metal and then 18% of this magic paste. Uh, It is a proprietary technology and it extrudes it very much like you know when you, when you have a bag of cake icing and you're you're squeezing the bag and and creating all of the you know the flowers or lettering on a cake it's very similar to that and when the object is done 
there is oftentimes in all 3D printing where you have to do a little bit of post-processing. Mm -hmm. So in the terms of a 3D metal printer, when it comes out of the printer, that's called a green part. And it's very similar to clay. When you finish your clay model, you then have to bake it. So we have a sintering oven that comes with the printer. We take the part out, the green part, and we apply it to, or we put it in the sintering oven, and then it basically binds the metal powders together, gets rid of the water-based paste, and when it's done, it comes out and it's stainless steel or wow. tool steel or titanium or inconel, whatever material we're printing with. Well, that's pretty impressive. So I suppose anyone who's involved with small manufacturing or thinking about prototyping something for a new business idea, is that where the, the real community interest is from uh, the commercial sector in your area? Absolutely. It's so fast compared to traditional manufacturing processes. And, and the, what I love the most is that we're inventing new processes that you, for let's say a part for a machine, that you can't make any other way. Mm -hmm. It is either impossible or it takes, you know, a tremendous amount of work to do what we can do or what a metal printer can do, you know, almost right out of the machine. Oftentimes there's a little bit of still, you have to use a traditional manufacturing process like machining just mm -hmm. to clean up the part a little bit, but it is a, a tremendous new tool. Absolutely. And how do your students respond when they get their hands on this new tool? Well, this is really new. So right now we have a limited amount of student access to it. Right. So we, uh, we just got it in January. So the students that we have e either through co-op or internship programs, mm -hmm. right now we have three that have access to the machine and, and are learning the design techniques for 3D printing and metal. Because you can print any part, but it right. really comes down to, you know, thinking about new design criteria that a traditional machinist, let's say, would just make a part that they've been giving. But in the new sort of paradigm of 3D metal printing, you can design so much more into a part that, you know, you traditionally can't make. So, but we do have a, a new program starting in September called Digital Fabrication and Design that I have been working on for the last two years. It will launch here in Trail, BC in September. And it really focuses on, on additive and subtractive manufacturing and the design spectrum around that as well. It sounds like the possibilities are kind of limitless of this. That's, that's a really exciting part. And I'm sure there's many colleges across Canada that would love to have their hands on these kinds of tools and resources for students and for their community partners. So, so Selkirk is kind of ahead of the curve on this. What is it about Selkirk that makes it a trailblazer in this area? I think, you know, one of the big parts of it for me personally has been just the the support I've gotten from management and from my bosses, let's say. And the beauty of a small college like us is before the president, Angus Graham, and the vice president, Reese Andrews, were vice president and president, they were teachers. And I taught alongside them. We were then, all three of us were chairs in the program, in different programs. And we had access to each other's skill sets and resources. They decided to move into management and I kept plowing along and moved into more of a research role. But, you know, we come from the same place, which is a, a great thing. So that's a big part of it is just having the support from management to trust and believe in what, you know, I'm doing the right thing. Right. For our Tricky. communities, both industry and the students. Right. 
for sure. And if we look at the industry side and local business, can you give us an example or two of how local businesses are already using that, this, or I know that it's, it's really new, so how they plan to, or you see opportunities for them to use it? There are many industries in our area that are quite old. They've been around for, you know, a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Tech Metals, for instance, is here in Trail. We have lumber mills and pulp and paper industry here in this area, more of a resource-based industry. So, and like I said, a lot of these things are, are old. Fortis, for instance, has, I think there are seven dams in this area that, you know, range from a newer, you know, 30 years old to nearly a hundred years old. And a lot of the technologies and equipment that are in there, some of them are that old. And we've been able to support them by you know, helping them manufacture parts that you can't buy anymore. We've been able to support them with through 3D scanning and reverse engineering some of their their products. And all of these technologies that I'm mentioning don't exist in this area. Companies don't provide these services yet. Right. And so that's another big part of it is to support new growth or new industries that provide some of the services that we do. That's That's a big part of it for sure. And now it's time for a quick mention of our sponsor, ExploreNet. They're fighting to conquer Canada's vast geography and connect rural Canadians to what matters. And they've been doing it since they were founded in Woodstock, New Brunswick, more than 15 years ago. So whether you just need a fast, reliable, rural internet connection, or you're looking for more services like a home phone, ExploreNet can help. Learn more at ExploreNet.com. That's X-P-L-O-R-N-E-T dot com. And I know across Canada, some universities and colleges have been trying to break down barriers where maybe local people, even like would-be entrepreneurs, people who might be thinking of a startup or the business community, they don't naturally think of their college or university that they can get some research support and some product development support and that kind of thing. Do you think that relationship is already fairly advanced for Selkirk in your community that people do realize that, oh yes, this is an opportunity for us. We can go to them and talk to them about it? Absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we have done a very large push in our local communities and beyond. And, you know, one of the major supporters of that and the growth of our research area has been IRAP. And uh, we have a great, uh, an amazing uh, support person here. His name's Bruce Hardy that does supply some small research funding through the college so that we can help industry partners directly. IRAP is part of the NRC or National Research Council. Right. That has been a tremendous support. The other part is I've been here for a long time and, and being a small community, you know, below the, the uh, 50,000 in population, I know a lot of the industry partners. I know a lot of the industries and what they're doing from both art to large scale manufacturing and, you know, some of the resource based companies. If I don't know, you know, a, a high up person, I definitely know someone in, in the industry somewhere. And it's been a great push definitely in the last five years. Yeah, so that that has been a, a great thing. Some of the people that I've hired to work with me in, in applied research and as teachers come from those industries as well. All right. And, you know, across rural Canada and and even beyond our borders, rural communities are really facing with a big problem, out-migration. Now, you folks at the college are very progressive in trying to help local businesses succeed and grow through these kinds of tools and resources and supports. And then the students who come from the areas are getting exposure to that. What kind of, 
you know, talent pipeline does that provide and how does it affect being able to keep some bright young students in their home area? Yeah. You know, the first part, I think we have seen it the other way. We have in the past, I'm going to guess two years, seen a fairly large or substantial increase in our population from people exiting the big areas, especially Vancouver. And that is, I I would say, solely based on the cost of living in in Vancouver. It is, I do not miss being there. I love going there and and spending a week in training or or conference or or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't miss it. And we, so we have seen a fairly major influx in migration that way. Also for international, we have a lot of international students in our college and as well as, as opportunities to bring international workers into our area which has been a great bonus to the skill sets and the community development and, and more of the social side of things has been, yeah, it's been fantastic. And do you have any numbers on local graduate retention? How many of your students when they graduate are actually finding jobs and staying in the local area? I just learned about this the other day, actually, that the college has done a lot of research in that area. And we just celebrated, I think three or four years ago, our 50th anniversary for the college being here in the communities. Great. And since the opening of the college 50 plus years ago, it was 82 or 87% of our graduates stay in this area. Wow. Which is tremendous. It is, uh, you know, it's highly to the support from our industry and and our, you know, our region, um, supporting the growth of and education and trying to keep those people here, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I assume it's a beautiful area too, is it? It's just a beautiful area. No, it's terrible. Yeah, there's no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It, lifestyle choice is, is very high up on the list of why people move to this area. Outdoor recreation, skiing in the winter, obviously, and, and other sports like that. And in the summer, it's, this is a very high traffic area for mountain biking and, you know, enjoying our rivers and lakes that are right nearby here. Terrific. Well, I'm wondering what's next. You sound like the kind of guy who's always thinking about the the future and where to go next. Are there some things for you and the team at Selkirk College, or are there other things that you folks would like to see happen at the college to maybe even further expand its role in local innovation and entrepreneurial success? I think, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we, you know, have really moved towards, you know, expanding the areas of research and community development, both industry and community members in access to the equipment and technologies. I'm really hoping for a short little break here, a respite, because <laughs> this next year is going to be just crazy with with the uh, advancements and what we're doing here at the college, right. starting a new program and so on. Our research department was just listed this year in the top 50 in Canada, which is like, that's a huge thing for a small college to to achieve. And it's, you know, I definitely give the hugest kudos to my boss, Terry McDonald. She is just, uh, she is a powerhouse when it comes to driving opportunities and research, providing opportunities for students and and faculty as well to you know work outside of teaching and apply their skill sets and learning in in research mm-hmm. it, it is tremendous so I'm hoping for a little bit of a break but you know it, 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 
it is it, it is uh, the opportunities here are, have been just overwhelming and you know once a new idea comes up it has you know we have the support to just run with it and it's pretty fantastic yeah good things come out of those uh, when you have that support you get ideas you get listened to and people invest in those ideas so for folks listening in other communities jason i'm wondering what do you feel are the key ingredients of community and college collaboration to get investments like this going that can support and help drive local economic development that partnership between industry community and the college that partnerships between those three so for instance in our area we have cast so the kootenai association for science and technology we have i'm not sure how far it reaches but the community futures organizations right we have other local initiatives there is one called the metal tech alley which is through our an initiatives corporation and then the industry partners so you know one of the, I'll give an example, and that is Atco Wood Products. So Atco is a, is a small lumber mill. They produce veneer for, you know, manufacturing wood, like plywoods and, and other materials like that. So the president of that company is named Scott Weatherford. And, you know, Scott is a very true, like a very high believer in, in community support and development. And he sits on our college board. And it, so that is, you know, an example of someone that, that really believes in how to give back to the community. He has a very successful company and, and wants to give back. So those partnerships from a community organization or something like the city in Castlegar, for instance, has very, been, been very forward looking. City of Nelson again and Trail, they've been looking for how do they support or how do they get involved? So those ties, so if there was a professor or instructor in a program that, you know, sees a potential for growth, just bringing a few of those people together is step one. And then, you know, there are excellent opportunities in both research through NSERC or IRAP or the NRC and other, there must be other community development funds and and grants that people can access. Mm -hmm to build on those things. So for instance, the facility we built here was a support from our region has what's called the Columbia Basin Trust. And I, you know, it, it, it would take a long time for me to get into what this, what CBT is, but is a, a fairly major funding source in development, both social and history and arts and heritage and technology advancements. They are a great supporter. Community Futures, the cities, those are another great supporter. We also utilized a fund through WD or what's called Western Economic Diversification, another you know government granting entity. And they all came together and supported a five-year plan for the success of this lab that we built here. Wow, it doesn't sound like you folks leave much money on the table. I think you would identify what's out <laughs> there and go after it. The West, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's terrific, Jason. You've given us lots of good insights today and things to think about when it comes to uh, you know campus community collaboration. And we're going to look forward to following some of the success stories that come out of uh, Selkirk College. So thanks so much and best luck to you and to everyone with the Fab Lab. Great, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week. The Rural Spark team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Sebar. Music by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada. <laughs>